I, uh, I continue to be amazed at what the Lord does. And, you know, there's been a couple of times. Most of us have heard and you know the traditional Easter message. And I think the last line of that song really says a lot when it says, Life is worth the living because we know that He lives. And I want to talk this morning about hope is alive. Hope is alive. Um, and I, I even forgot my own cue. I've got a short video that I want you to watch. You forgot, thought I forgot about it, didn't you, Ryan? There it is. It's powerful. The Bible said, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He records the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! 
Lockridge, uh, I believe, pastored in Los Angeles, and that was a recording from the mid-70s. And uh, I've heard it before, and I think I've even maybe played it here once a number of years ago, but it's still powerful yet today because it's true. Amen. Hope is alive. Hope, by definition, means a desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it or belief that it is obtainable. The definition of hope. A desire of something good, of some good, accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it, or a belief that it is obtainable. You see, hope differs from a wish and a desire in that it implies that there is some expectation of obtaining. And a wish is just... Just a dream kind of thing. But a hope is more than that. A hope is obtaining the good desired or the possibility of possessing it. It also means confidence in a future event. The highest degree of well-founded expectation of good. When you hope in something, you believe and you trust that there is something that you're going to see. And it's going to materialize and it's going to happen. When crisis occurs, distress soon follows. When harsh facts are staring you in the face and you're facing something that is bigger than you are, something over which you have no control, and many of us have absolutely been there. You feel miserable. Sometimes you can feel hopeless. You can feel in a state of despair. And sometimes you may even feel like there's no hope at all. Because you don't see a way out of the situation. I want to share some statistics with you that are absolutely staggering. Suicide is a leading cause of death in the United States. Suicide is a leading cause of death in the United States. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, WISCAR's leading cause of death reports, the statistics from 2018, Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of over 48,000 people. You think about that. There are some cities near here that don't even have that as a population. Suicide was the leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 10 and 34, and the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between 35 and 54. There were more than two and a half times as many suicides in the United States as there were homicides. 48,000 suicides, 18,000 homicides. It's staggering. Why do people commit suicide? In an article that I found that was written just last month or two months ago rather called why do people commit suicide why do people commit suicide by nancy Schimmelfinning. the reasons are varied but i just want to briefly go through a few of them that she gave in this article mental illness most people make the decision to attempt suicide shortly before doing so impulsively rather than planning it out extensively 
While there are many factors that can influence a person's decision to commit suicide, the most common is severe depression. Depression can make people feel great emotional pain and loss of hope, making them unable to see another way to relieve the pain other than ending their own life. Another is traumatic stress. A person who has had a traumatic experience, including childhood sexual abuse, rape, physical abuse, and war trauma, is at greater risk for suicide even many years after the trauma. The next one is substance abuse and impulsivity. Drugs and alcohol can influence a person who is feeling suicidal, making them more impulsive and likely to act upon their urges than they would while being sober. Substance and alcohol abuse can contribute to other reasons people commit suicide, such as the loss of jobs and relationships. The next is loss or fear of loss. A person may decide to take their own life when facing the loss of the, the loss or the fear of loss. These situations can include academic failures, being arrested or in prison, bullying, shaming, or humiliation, including cyberbullying, financial problems, end of a close friendship or romantic relationship, job loss, loss of friends or family acceptance due to revealing sexual orientation, loss of social status. Hopelessness is another. Hopelessness, either in the short term or the long term trait, has been found in many studies to contribute to the decision to commit suicide. The person may be facing a social or physical challenge and may see no way out, no way the situation can improve. Chronic pain or illness. If a person has chronic pain or illness with no hope of a cure or reprieve from suffering, suicide may seem like an, a way to retain dignity and control of their life. Feeling like a burden to others. A person with chronic pain or a terminal illness can feel like a burden to others as it becomes harder and harder to ask for yet another ride to the doctor's office or more help with household duties or assistance paying for hospital bills. In fact, many people who decide to commit suicide often state that their loved ones in the world in general would be better off without them. Social isolation. A person can become socially isolated for many reasons, including loss of friends or a spouse, undergoing a separation or divorce, physical or mental illness, social anxiety, retirement, or due to a move to a new location. Social isolation can also be caused by internal factors such as low self-esteem. Cry for help. Sometimes people attempt suicide not so much because they really want to die, but because they simply don't know how to get help. Suicide attempts are, are not a cry for attention, but a cry for help. That it becomes a way to demonstrate to the world just how much they're hurting. Pastor, why are you reading all this? This is such a downer on such a, a day when we celebrate. Why am I telling you this? The reason I'm telling you that is because the hope that people once had, that it dwindled away. And they lost their expectation that things would get any better. With no prospects of any improvement in their situation, they just wanted the pain to stop. They wanted the situation to be over. But I want you to look at a particular verse of Scripture. This is an untraditional Easter sermon, I know. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If for if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most to be pitied. One translation says miserable. If only in this life we will never 
be able to be released from the hardship or emotional pain and scars and never experience the freedom of despair if we only look at natural solutions and if we only look at things in this life. In this world that we live in, as long as we look to natural and traditional solutions that man thinks of. Many people spend years in prison, in the prison of despair, because they don't see any hope past this life. All they see is really what they understand. And when they understand that when their understanding is limited to only what they see, they find themselves in a place of despair, in a place of discouragement, and they think nothing can really ever get better. There's a saying that time heals all wounds. Anybody's ever heard that saying? Time heals all wounds. Although the prevailing thoughts are that talking it out and getting counseling and letting time go by, those are solutions. While these things may be good and they do provide some relief, they cannot provide the ultimate and permanent hope. How do you tell someone who has gone through such deep emotional scars that, oh, you just need to get over it. Just talk through it. Talk it over enough times. Write a journal. Do all this. And those things may help. But it will never erase the memories. It will never erase the memories. And I have said this before. And I want to remind you again. That whatever has happened in your past. Whatever things that have gone wrong. Don't allow that to be something that cripples you now. Don't allow it to cripple you now. Because when things happen that are out of your control, it's not your fault. When people hurt you, it's not your fault. What you do with the hurt is the key. Some people have already experience the feelings that come with the pain of past hurts and failures. They think it's useless and it's hopeless. That things will never get any better and I'll never be released from this prison of whatever that happens to be. But know this, that the God of the universe sent His one and only Son, Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17 reminds us so beautifully, For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him would be saved. That's you and me. That we would be saved. Saved from what? Saved from perishing. From our sins. From all the things that we've done wrong. But all of those things that everybody else has done wrong in our lives. Because as long as we are there. He's here to save. That's why we call Him a Savior. He's here to save you. Yes, absolutely. Most importantly, from your sins. From all those things that you have done wrong. Because sin demands a payment for its 
or, or the penalty is reaped. And Jesus Christ is the payment for the penalty. His blood shed upon the cross of Calvary. Risen on the third day. That is the, that is the stamp of God's approval on the payment that He has made. So that we could be free. Because of the Father's great love, we can all, all now have eternal life and lasting hope that He alone will be able to provide forever. Because Jesus is our hope. And because of Jesus, hope is alive. Hope is not dead. As long as you are reminded of all those situations and all those hurts and everything else that has gone on, it seems like hope and despair are the rule of the day, the rule of your life. And you get up in the morning and maybe it's so hard for you to understand what's going on. Because these memories keep flooding back. May I tell you that hope is not dead. That hope is alive. I mentioned this uh, uh, several weeks ago. Probably a few months ago. I heard this. Um, it wasn't even in a, in, a, in a message in a church or anything like this. I just heard somebody say it. He said, he said you know, some people think if they're right before they go to bed and they're watching something that really turns into a turn that is really uh, uh, you're watching something on TV and it turns into like this area where it's like boy that's really bad I really you know like you're watching something and it's like takes you down the pathway of, of like scary and frightening and all that kind of stuff and he said what's the best thing you can do and a lot of people says well just turn it off you know and he said you know, you would think that, but that's really not the best thing to do. The best thing to do is to watch something better than that. And don't let that be the last thing that is on your mind before you go to bed. Get something else and fill your mind with things that are better than what you just experienced. And I think that is so powerful because many times we forget and the enemy of your soul will use isolation, especially as a tactic. If he can get you alone, if he can get you away from any godly influences in your life, that's exactly what he wants to do. He doesn't want you reading the Bible. He doesn't want you interacting with other believers. He doesn't want you, um, he doesn't want you to come to church. He doesn't want you to pray. And all of those things have the potential to feed godly things into your life. The Holy Spirit can build you up on the inside. But no, He wants you to live on social media and, and intake all of that stuff that you see. May I tell you that your minds and your temple of the Holy Spirit was not designed to digest all of the stuff that you see on social media. How many know there's good, there's bad, and, and when it comes through, you may not get to pick. You just see something and you're like, man, why did I have to read that? I, I don't really want to see that. And, and you just go through. But make it a point to say, I am not going to allow that to fill my mind. I'm not saying social media is a bad thing. We're on social media right now, live streaming this morning. But it is a powerful thing. It is a powerful tool. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. Either one. But make sure that your connection to Jesus Christ is solid and firm because hope is alive through Jesus Christ. Sometimes people just throw around the idea of Jesus and they say, well, I'm a Christian or 
maybe how, how can I know that he's my hope? 1 Corinthians 15, 19 again, if only in this life we have hope, we are of most people most to be pitied. What is hope in Christ in this life alone? Only. It's like somebody says, I believe in Jesus, but they don't live their lives with any depth of their relationship with God. When you're surrounded by life, it's cares, it's crisis, it's worries, it's stresses, and that's in this life, that's really all that you realize. It's on your mind all the time. When you give little consideration to eternal matters, then you're, you open the door to be able to be overwhelmed by life and its circumstances. So if my hope is in Christ alone, only now and not eternally forever, I might as well have no hope at all. If my hope is only in this life, I might as well have no hope at all. The, the, the phrase to be pitied is from the Greek word alienos, which means miserable or pitiable. If those who say that our resurrection is a false hope, if they're right, then the, our whole Christian life is based on a fraud. And even if we felt happy, it would be a miserable sort of happiness. This same wording is used in Revelation 3.17 in the church of Laodicea. They, they, they let pride and satisfaction and material things rob them of spiritual hunger and a true intimate knowledge of God. They did not feel miserable, but they were to be pitied. In Luke 4.14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised Him. He went to Nazareth, where He had been brought up on the Sabbath day, and He went to the synagogue, as was His custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Him. Unrolling it, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me. I want you to see this. I know this it's a very small screen. <clears throat> but I want you to look at this. To proclaim the good news to the poor. The poor is representative of those who are destitute, the afflicted, the humble, those crushed in spirit, those that are broken hearted. God had anointed Jesus as the Messiah to bring good news to those who were humble, those who were crushed in spirit, those who were destitute, those who were afflicted, and those who were broken hearted. In this verse right here, you will find that some of this, one of these will apply to your life. He has sent me, here's the next phrase, to proclaim freedom from the prisoners. Freedom from the prisoners. Meaning those that are in darkness and breaking the chains of bondage and sin. How many know that our past can be chains that seem to bind at times? And he says, and recovery of sight to the blind, meaning open the spiritual eyes of those that have been blinded. That's what the enemy's good at. He's good at blinding people. And causing them not to see any hope at all. And then he says this. To set the oppressed free. This verse closes out uh, uh, here in verse 18. To set the oppressed free. That means to heal those who are bruised and oppressed. How many of you have ever been bruised and you felt oppressed. And you felt like you've been pushed down. 
Then there's better news coming in the next verse. Verse 19. It says this. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If all of those things were you, what he's saying is that all of those things, any of those things, I've come to bring you good news because I am the hope that is alive. And the, the proclaiming of the year of the Lord's favor in your life means to proclaim the time of true freedom and salvation from Satan's dominion, fear, and guilt. He brings you the freedom that you can only get, the hope that you can only get through Jesus Christ because He is our hope. And that hope is alive, church. Verse 20, Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He, be he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. What Jesus was really saying is, is that here that the devil has now received official notice that freedom is here and hope is alive. We do not only have hope in this life, but we have hope beyond this life. Paul had been speaking to the Corinthians about the belief or the lack of belief in the resurrection of Christ. And if Jesus died on the cross, that would be the end of it. We would have no possibility of hope beyond this life. We, we would face, we'd be faced with trying to cope with our fears and emotional pain on our own. But church hope is alive. I want you to look a little earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse number 1. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. On which you have taken your stand. How many know that when you take a stand, that means that you are steadfast. You are like, I am not moving from this spot. Some people would call it stubborn. In the natural, you would say, well, you're just stubborn. We can be stubborn about taking our stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can say, I am taking my stand in the gospel. And verse 2 tells us why. By this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. If you don't hold firmly to the, to the gospel, then you believed in vain. Verse 3, for what I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And after that, he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, and to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to how many people? What does the scripture say? After that, he appeared to more than 500 and I heard a, a minister say this, that they didn't, they didn't count the women in the count because of the culture of the day. So 500 men, 500 of the brothers and sisters at the, at the same time. But 500 is impressive. It's a lot of folk. There were over 500 documented cases that saw the post-resurrected Jesus Christ walking around before he ascended into heaven. Most of whom are still living at the time of this writing, though some have fallen asleep, some have gone on to be with the Lord. 
Then he appeared to James and to the apostles. And lastly, he, he, he appeared also to me as one abnormally born or as one that was born out of time, meaning that, that he appeared to me even though I wasn't there at that particular setting. Down to verse 20, he said, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Hope is alive, church, and his name is Jesus. Because of Jesus, we know that he has conquered death and that there will be a day when he returns for those of us. Because he is our hope. Because of Jesus, hope is alive. When we die, we don't just stay in some hole in the ground, but our soul goes, to, goes on forever. And if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, then we immediately go to be with Jesus. That hope that is alive, He is that hope. And He will keep us and He will keep that hope alive forever and forever and forever. We just have to grasp that concept. We can live our lives not just trying to make it and be overwhelmed and have these roller coaster moments where we're up one day and we're down the next and we can realize that regardless of what comes my way and regardless of the despair that may be pressing in around me that I'm going to take a stand on the Word of God and I'm going to say that hope is alive in my soul because Jesus is alive. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive and my faith, hope, trust, and confidence is in Him alone. He is my Savior, my soon coming King. We can live knowing that we have a hope. Will you live in the forever hope that Jesus brings? Will you live your life so that others can see that hope is alive? Jesus is our hope, church. Jesus is our hope. I want to close with this verse in Hebrews 13 and 8. You probably know it. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is so important. And what I want you to get out of this is, Jesus is the hope over your past, in your present, and forever in your future. Hope is alive and it covers everything in your life. From the beginning all the way through. He is alive. That hope is alive. Because we know. And we can be assured. Your past failures. Your present circumstances. Whatever the future holds. We don't know. But Jesus is alive. And he is our hope. Hope is alive church. Some people may scoff at the idea that we should have hope. Well, don't you understand that you're in a situation that you can't get out of? You've got a terminal illness and you're never going to get better. You've got a disability and it's never going to go away. You've got emotional scars that you will carry the rest of your life. 
And to that I say, recognize and remember that Jesus is your hope. Mm -hmm. Hope is alive. We can't hope only in this life in what we see. Because this life is temporary. But our soul is eternal. And our soul will be carried on as long as we hope in Jesus Christ. Right with him. We don't trust in Jesus. There's no reason to hope. But trust in Jesus and he will bring you hope. He will change your perspective. I think I mentioned this last week. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that all of your situations will be solved. All your problems will be fixed. And you'll find that life is just going to be rosy. It's not that way. We all have things that we have to face in our lives. But how we face them makes a difference. When we face them with Jesus Christ. It is a much better perspective to know that Jesus is my hope. And that hope is alive. Amen. Let's bow for prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you that hope is alive and his name is Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would just touch our hearts deeply right now. Right where we are. If we've never asked Jesus to come into our hearts and lives, to turn over our lives to you, our hope for this life and the next. Lord, may the Holy Spirit deal with us right now. As you say, you will in your word and draw us close to you. Lord, if we are living in a place where we seem like we may be distant from you, we may be far from you and not as close as we should be. We've allowed the cares of this life to just dominate our emotions and our heart. Lord, may we come closer again and recognize and confess that you are still Lord and that our hope is renewed in you today. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.